All right, kind of feels a little bit like a couple weeks ago. It's another episode of Backlash Podcast, and Brad's gone again. But I'm not alone. I have Carrie here. So that means our guest must be absolutely fantastic, because if anybody listens to the podcast regularly knows, Carrie doesn't just show up for anybody. So we're going to talk to Vance Kalaz, Muddy Creek Guide Service. He's fishing Chautauqua Lake over in New York. If you don't know Vance, he is a uh, he's another podcaster. He's like, uh, we'll call him the OG musky podcaster, Fat Izzy musky podcast. As much as I'd like to say that we were the original musky podcast, we weren't. They beat us, and I don't even think we were second. But either way, we're still number one in my in my opinion. But that's, I think Vance would probably have, have a, uh, a difference in opinion. Anyways, we got Vance on. Uh, great guest. He's like knowledgeable. You know, like I said, he he does the podcast thing as well. So if you need if you need more musky informa- information, check out Fat Easy Musky Podcast. And again, my co-host is Carrie Hoppy, Musky Mayhem Tackle. Carrie, thank you very much. I know it is way past your bedtime, but I really do appreciate you filling in for Brad. Very big shoes to fill today, but I, I think that you can handle it. I feel really confident. I got pretty big feet, so we're good. <laughs> what's what's Brad doing? Is he fishing? What's his story? He he's fishing, actually. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so he said something about busy this week. Maybe next week he'll be less busy or something. I'm like, well, and I still got to do one more episode before you come back to whatever, because I think yeah. so. But you know, it's pretty typical this time of year. We're all busy. Everybody's busy, especially in 2020 and 2021. If you're in the fishing industry, there's a good chance that you got something to do. And if you don't, maybe you got to question what you're doing. But uh, I don't know, maybe that wasn't very nice of me. Anyways, it seems like almost everybody I know is, <laughs> is very busy, right? Right, Carrie? I know you guys are cranking uh, in the shop. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody I know is is very busy. So it's it's good. Mm-hmm. They're very Better than the alternative. Absolutely. I mean, and I thought in March of 2020 that the alternative would have been here by now, but it's not. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for all of our customers coming out every single week and, uh, you know, checking out, checking out our website, shopping with us, shopping with, uh, team rhino outdoors.com shopping with musky mayhem tackle.com. We thank everybody for listening to our podcast every single week. We have very loyal listeners. And for that, we are very appreciative. If anybody uh, wants to check out Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube, I actually edited a video. It's the video where my daughter and I catch a muskie on the bait that Duff Theory uh, painted up in memory of my dad. Uh, Super cool gesture. I talked about that on, I don't know how many podcasts ago, four or five podcasts ago. Duff painted up a a bait for, for me in remembrance of my dad. And so I decided to go take it out. And uh, put it in the water. And we caught a 36 and a half inch muskie for my daughter, which is still currently her biggest muskie. And now with school being back in session pretty soon and she's in volleyball and then she doesn't like it because her hands get cold in the late fall. So I don't know if we'll get her back in the boat again this year or not. But it's crazy how much we all look forward to summer and then how fast summer goes, especially this summer for me. You know, if anybody wants to check out the story, it's not a super long video. Just check it out on YouTube. And, um, you know, so that we had that going on. If uh, you need gear for your next musky fishing adventures, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. It seems like every single day we get more and more and more stuff. And that's good. And I, it seems like, what is it, Carrie, every 10 days I get a box from you guys? 
if that. I mean, it. I think sometimes it's even less than that. But yeah. Yeah. I don't think it goes too much longer than 10 days now. No, I still have a quota of triggers that I need to meet. So if you need a trigger and you haven't gotten one yet, make sure you buy it from us because Carrie kind of bet me that I can't sell a certain number of them. And I won't tell you what the number is, but I'm very goal oriented. So I want to hit that number and it's, it's a pretty lofty goal. Carrie likes to set these goals for me that are a tad unrealistic. And so uh, yeah, here, basically. Here, here I am. And I think she likes to move the goalposts too, you know, when, the, when she does. sets a goal. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. But, uh, <laughs> she likes to get under your skin a little bit. <laughs> and it might work. So anyways, <laughs> if you're looking for that, we have them. And we should have most colors in stock right now. And if we don't, I have another order to carry. So she'll be getting me some more. And for anybody that's looking for Bulldogs, we have never had more Bulldogs ever in the history of Team Rhino Outdoors than we do right now. I should say custom colors. Stock colors, not so good. But if you want a custom colored bulldog, not swimming dog, not shell invader, not dying dog, regular old school bulldogs or pro dogs or double dogs or spring dogs, whatever, we have piles and piles of them right now. So just geared up for fall. We have a whole bunch of other rubber options as well, but I think I've talked those in the past. Carrie, why don't you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle and once you're done, I think we're going to go talk to Vance and see what he has to say about Chautauqua Lake and uh, what else we can talk about. We're going to talk about a few things. So we're going to talk about his bait company. We're going to talk about patterning muskies a little bit, possibly one tip to help you put a couple of fish in the net. But before we get there, Carrie, take it away. Muskie Mayhem Tackle. This is the part where you got to be Brad. See if I can fill those shoes. So if you want to learn more about Muskie Mayhem Tackle, you can go to muskiemayhemtackle.com. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us on YouTube. I believe that is part of the reason Brad is gone, is because he is working on footage for YouTube. I think we're good. I mean, if you're in need of a custom cowgirl, or a custom trigger, or a custom detonator, or Jeff, did you hear about the latest supermodel fish coming out of Ontario, I believe? I think I did, actually, like a... Was a 58 inch one? I think I actually just saw that today. Yeah, it was a giant. Laz, if I'm not mistaken, Laz was the one that guided that one. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, a giant 58 and a half inch fish caught on a supermodel. So if you need a supermodel in your favorite color, you can go to Muskie Mayhem Tackle and pick out all any color that you want and build that as a custom. Probably would have been a 59 and a half inch if it would have been a, a custom colored trigger from Team Rhino Outdoors, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have to congratulate Klaus and and Mike on that giant fish, though. That is by far a fish of a lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and from what I understand, he's no stranger to big fish. Klaus is, by the, by the way, I heard the story. It's just like two inches bigger than his previous biggest fish or something like that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he's definitely no, no stranger to big fish. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. I'm glad to see that Mike is apparently able to get back guiding. That's, uh, you know, that's new since, well, I don't know, probably the last time I recorded a podcast. It's been a little while. We we're actually ahead for a little bit, but now we're not. We're kind of on the fringe again. So anyways, right. yeah, that's awesome. Super, you know, congratulations, you know, Mike, on putting uh, your client on that fish. That's amazing. I don't know. I got nothing else to add. Hopefully uh, I maybe will have a hoppy on next episode and if i don't i'll do it solo because yeah i'm i'm good like that got to keep uh podcast content you know rolling but anyways let's get uh, vance on the horn and and talk to him sounds good
All right, our guest today is Vance K. Laws, Muddy Creek Guide Service in, I believe he's over at Chautauqua Lake, which is in New York. And Vance is also part of the like OG podcasting scene with the Fat Easy Muskie podcast. So this should be a cakewalk for Vance. He's uh, a very, you know, well-rounded uh, angler. He's also, you know, definitely, the, we'll call him the pioneer of podcasting. They were podcasting before it was even cool. And they had the original Muskie podcast and the rest of us kind of just followed them. We all kind of have our own different flavor now. You guys have a little different gig going on, but it's still pretty cool. And uh, Vance, I just want to thank you for coming out, taking some time out of your schedule. I know how busy you are with guiding. You're always running doubles. And then, like I said, you got the own po- your own podcast. So you guys are dealing with that as well. So it's uh, I'm sure free time is at a premium. Hey, it is what it is. It's a musky game. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go all the time. I sleep fast, I say. And thank you. Uh, for having me on, and thank you for that little introduction. I'm just wondering if I should be like a difficult guest. <laughs> answer, answer like yes, no. You know, since, you know, really like, really put it to you a little bit. So you've definitely been down the podcast. You're no stranger to podcasting. You know how it can be with uh, certain certain guests. Yes, no answers yeah, well, can be very difficult for us. They're they're difficult, and you're. You're, you're on to, to have a conversation and, and you get these yes, no things and you're just like, God, how can I get this person to uh, talk, you know? Absolutely. Well, because, we, you know, the people don't come on to listen to me. They want to listen to you. Or they clicked on the thumbnail or they clicked on the thing because it talked about Vance and they're like, hey, I want to know what Vance has to say. And if then you start <laughs> to answer with yes, no answers, they're like, hmm, uh, Vance doesn't yeah, have that much to say. I'm not going to do that to you. You have to cut me off. Fortunately, talk a lot. I've listened to so many of your podcasts. Like I, I was a regular listener, I, and I still am. I don't catch them all, but I catch a, a you know good majority of them. And I know that this shouldn't be an issue with you. Uh, I would say of the three of you guys, you're probably the more of the life of the party. I guess is am, am I wrong in saying that? I I don't know, man. I'm just I just tell all the stories as they as they come. You know, maybe the more Andy animated, and Andy, you know, more yeah, animated. Andy and Todd, they have stories but they're just too embarrassed to own up to them. My stories are like, you know, I break a lot of stuff, you know, bad things happen to me. Example, I pulled out of the lake tonight, you know, the whole skeg was on the, on the ground, just heard it crinkling on cement. Uh, it was uh, because I didn't trim the, the motor up, you know, and it was pouring down rain. So, you know, you own up to stuff like that. And people are like, Oh wow. You know, that's relatable. Mm-hmm. Even the professionals have issues occasionally. Oh, gosh, occasionally. I mean, it could be daily, but <laughs> you live, you learn, you learn for a little bit and then it ha- something like that happens again Absolutely. and it turns into a good story. Well, since it's the first time on the podcast and we can, you know, we kind of got into a little bit there. Why don't you kind of give everybody a rundown who you are, what, what's up with your guide service, where you're fishing, what you're doing and kind of like what, you know, your all around background of the muskie game. Okay. Yeah. My name is Vance Kalos. I'm from McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Uh, started fishing at a young age, probably as a lot of listeners do, you know, entry-level stuff, bluegills, uh, bass, walleye, anything that would bite, trout stuff. But I caught my first muskie when I was about seven years old on a very tactical presentation with a worm and a bobber. and. Uh, that was always kind of like in the back of my mind, like, well, that was like super cool. 
It was like 25 inches. You know, I thought it was like the biggest thing ever. I wanted to get it mounted. You know, when you're like little, you always want to get the fish mounted. So you have something uh, to show and look at. And, you know, my parents, of course, were like, no, absolutely not. And we're not keeping that thing. We released it. Yeah, I just uh, started fishing when I was young. And uh, we always had a, a family vacation up to Chautauqua Lake every year. And uh, that's where I kind of fell in love with it um, and and really uh, started to sharpen my tools in the, the uh, musky world and became obsessed with it. Uh, and right now, I'm a guide here on Chautauqua Lake. I do Pennsylvania. Uh, in the early season, Pennsylvania is a uh, state that is open year-round for musky fishing. So you can fish for them 365 if you want to. Um, but I fish there from pretty much like ice off, a little bit after ice off, through mid-May. And then once May comes in, um, our season at Chautauqua Lake on New York inland waters, it starts the Saturday prior to Memorial Day and goes till November 30th. So that's where you'll find me on the water up here at Chautauqua Lake guiding, Muddy Creek fishing guides. That's kind of where I'm at now. You want a deep history of how I got into it? Well, I guess one thing I do want to know, maybe listeners want to know, I don't know if I've ever heard it. Like, when did you decide you wanted to be a muskie guide? And like, is that something that just happened or is it something that you, you know, after catching your first muskie, did you be like, okay, I want to make a living in the fishing industry? How'd that work out? You know, it's, it's kind of like a pipe dream when you, uh, when you're, when you're young and you're thinking about what you want to do. You know, when I was young, I wanted to be a marine biologist because I like to work a whales, and I thought that's what people at SeaWorld did, you know. Um, it's a pipe dream. I love musky fishing. How do you turn that into a profession? I have no idea. I'm a young kid at that age. I don't know. You're just supposed to go to school, graduate, get a degree, go to college, all that good stuff. I went to college and got a four-year degree in nursing. I loved I, I liked it, you know, I, but... uh the reason I got that degree and my math isn't that great, but I was, I knew that, you know, nurses work three 12 hour shifts in my math, you know, there's seven days in a week, seven minus three is four. I was like, I could fish for four days. This is beautiful. I'm going to get into this. That's pretty much where, where like it started to like get into my mind where I have a lot of t- like off time. I'd like to do something else, whether that was, continuing my education or trying to branch off uh, and do something on my own. And, and that's what I chose to do. It's, it's, it's literally a pipe dream when you, when you first start out. It, it takes a lot uh, to build clientele, to build uh, relationships with people and, um, you know, prove to people that, you know, people are paying you money to take them out and put them on fish. You gotta, you gotta produce. Uh, so, you know, it, it just takes a, uh, a long time to do that. You know, if you are decent at it and willing to work at it, such as life, things can happen. And it, it's tough for me to sit here and reflect on how it actually happens. You know, I, I'm, I'm still in the middle of it every day. I'm, I'm, you know, working to be a better fisherman and, you know, get, cl- get my clients on fish. You know, so there's really no time for me to reflect on it just yet. It's still a pipe dream. I can't believe it's happened, you know, and it, it, it's a blessing every day uh, to get out there and, and fish for a living. 
But like I said, if you put work in and you work hard, good things happen. You, you get surrounded by like-minded people. You just kind of ooze that. And people with like minds, they kind of attract. And it's, you know, it's just a, a, a domino effect at that point. You know, stuff, stuff just starts happening. Next thing you know, you're involved in the bait business. The next thing you know, you're starting a podcast. The next thing you know, you're booked every day to fish for muskies. Uh, so it's, it's a pipe dream. I have no idea how to tell anybody to do it except to work hard and with a clear mind and uh, things can happen. I mean, this is an absolute dream come true for me. Well, you know, it's crazy how things work out. You know, I don't think any of us here on this podcast necessarily, you know, at one point where, uh, you know, going through school and they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't think any of us wanted to be this. Like I know, I mean, I was an electrician much like you, you know, like not mine wasn't the, uh, you know, work four days a week thing, but I was like, well, electrician, that'll be, uh, you know, afford me enough money to buy a house and buy a boat and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And, and cause I mean, you need to be financially secure typically to go and get no, into no. this too hardcore because of how expensive things have gotten, especially if you want the latest and the greatest. Carrie, I'm assuming that you didn't want to be, uh, you didn't think that you were going to invent a cowgirl and, and grow up to, no. to make bucktails all day long, did you? No, no. If you would have asked me that even when I was 18 years old, I would, that would no, that thought never crossed my mind. Never. You know, it's just crazy how the twists and turns of life take you. Speaking of that, I don't know if I've ever heard the story. How did, how did you and you and Andy and Todd come together? So, like back in 2010, I would say it was, you know, going back to like, you know, just starting off, it's, it's crazy. You know, you come out of college, Jeff, you touch base on being financially sound to, you know, get your, uh, you know, wind underneath your sail there. And, uh, I immediately bought a boat like it right out of college, just immediately. It was like, first thing I did, got a job, boom, bought a boat, parents pissed all that good stuff. Um, but I was spending time, I was coming up here to spend time to fish. It's what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm up here pretty much like I would, I would work for three days in the beginning of the, the schedule. Then I would work the latter uh, portion in the pay period. So I'd have this like strip of eight days off and I would just be like living in my car, showering at the state park, just fishing the entire time. And I come, come across a, uh, a gentleman named Todd Young, who's my partner in the baits and uh, Muddy Creek Fishing Guys. And he's like, you know, who is this crazy kid? He's out here all the time. Let me talk to him. So me and Todd fished together one day. And I'm like, you know, we don't catch a thing. But I was like, yeah, I, I picked up a lot of information. You know, that was that was good. I'm doing, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, thank you very much. And uh, we kind of built a uh, friendship after that next thing you know we're we're fishing in tournaments together and uh doing all that stuff and todd kindly asked me to uh join into the business and help him out with some overflow and stuff and it just went from there during that time when todd and i were fishing andy of fat az musky product he was talking to todd they were designing a bait together i got involved in that via todd you know i was just up here fishing all the time that's the thing I was, I was talking about, like-minded people that kind of attract. And it just went uh, went on from there. So it was early on. It was like right around uh, the time we were making jerk bait, starting to make jerk bait. Uh, we had the swim bait out and the glide bait out. 
And that's how, that's how I met them. I just met them from being on the water. It, it was, it, it's really kind of like a beautiful little story, but that's it on the water. Guy came up to me and said, Hey, how you doing? It was Todd Young. I was like, what's up? It's interesting stories, stuff like that. Like I have a, a good friend of mine helps me out at a lot of the shows and I didn't, I, I met him fishing the PMTT in Kentucky. Turns out his parents live literally like a mile down the road from my parents. And I never, I mean, we grew up darn near in the same city, never knew anything about him, nothing, you know, <laughs> I had to go down to Kentucky fishing the PMTT to meet him and you know, just stories like that. Like you said, like-minded people attract. So it's crazy how that stuff works out sometimes. Mm-hmm. It is pretty crazy. This industry is on the business side of it and on the consumer side of it. It's really kind of small, you know, so everybody overlaps all the time. Yep, absolutely. Speaking of that overlap, you you know, you, you touched on it briefly, the uh, Fat AZ, you know, bait company. One thing I wanted to bring you on and talk about was, you know, the Raptor bait. It's probably, I'm assuming, your most popular bait. Is that right? I would agree. And so... Yeah. You know, guy, I, I hear you guys talk about it a lot, and I'd kind of like to know a little bit about it myself as far as the when, the where, the hows on, on this bait, because it sounds to me like you guys catch a lot of fish out there. And I'm, I think it's maybe a tad more to the East Coast as far as where that bait's using, but I think it's something that our listeners in, you know, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota could probably you know, add to their repertoire if it was something. So let's talk a little bit about the bait. What makes it so special? When do you use it? What type of water temperatures is it an all season bait? How do you work this thing? Let's talk about the Raptor. Got it. So the Raptor is a jerk bait. Uh, it comes in a six inch an eight inch an eight inch with a soft tail, a 10, a 10 inch with a soft tail. Um, it is our po- most popular bait in the fleet. It was created for guide trips. Essentially. We wanted something to, get down on our stru- on the structure that we were fishing and stay there pausing and something that got down with ease for people that were very green in uh, musky fishing. So that's where this started, you know, and it started with a block of wood and you just shave some off of it and shave some off of it. And then you have a mold and you have this idea and then all the waiting and all that crap comes in later. And that has a lot to do with Andy because he's an engineering mind. So we, we get this bait, you know, this bait is, it's getting down with these. And even if you're a greenhorn at it and you're up there sword fighting and having trouble picking up this new gear, this big round reel or this, you know, tranks or whatever it is and a big stiff, long fishing rod, it's, it's foreign. It's, there's, there's something about it that like your musky gear cannot, you can't transition your bass and walleye and bluegill and trout rods into what the tackle, uh, in musky fishing, what we're using. It, it's just all foreign, you know, I spin cast Well, I spin cast with my left. Now here's a big giant musky pole with, uh, a bait caster on it. I've never touched one of these things and I'm reeling the opposite way. It just feels weird in, in my hand. So what, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to catch a fish today? You know, it. there was something about that while these the people that were, you know, paying for charters come out, uh, they were, you know, they were completely using something foreign. But while they were doing that and learning and while we were teaching them how to use this bait, 
uh, that bait was still getting down in the zone uh, where we wanted to be uh, because of its ingenuity. People will consider it like a dive and rise bait. And it's kind of just like kind of a dive and sit bait in all reality. Um, and people out towards uh, that, you know, Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, places like that, what it could be compared to is an extremely weighted suic. And I know that's very popular out there. It was one of the first musky baits I've ever used uh, was it was a suic in a, in a, or a, a reef hog, you know, something that was weighted. But I just always remembered when, if I didn't have it weighted and I was going through the cadence with a jerk, boom, boom, boom. And it was such an erratic action, you know, it was kind of just like straight up and straight down because when I first started fishing, these jerk bait rods were, I mean, they were six foot long. They weren't anything like what we're using right now. So you constantly had to be straight up and down, boom, 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 jerking and reeling, jerking and reeling. And when you would stop, that thing would go right to the surface pretty quickly. I mean, we're talking about wooden baits here. So uh, unless you had a weight system and you screwed it on there, on onto those things, it was coming up way too fast. If you would swat a bee or a fly, uh, that's why. That's uh, kind of the reason the the raptor was was created. You know, it just kind of is ready to go out of the box for it to sit there, and it's kind of like shocking to people when they first pick it up. If, a, if an experienced fisherman picks it up, and it's for, it's for both ends of the spectrum an experienced fisherman picks it up and they're like, I can't see the thing. Where is it? Sitting down there like six, eight feet. You know, it's, it's, it's down there. It's slowly coming up, near neutrally buoyant. That pause, people call it the death pause, whatever it is, that, you know, it's sitting in front of the fish for that much longer. So that was the idea of it. You know, it gets down on that structure and it's the jerk bait, but it, it gets deep, those eight inches. So it's definitely not a bait we're using over shallow weed cover. It's definitely a, a break line thing. I would imagine you do much casting in open water. You could do open water with it. I mean, I don't, I don't particularly use a jerk bait in open water. You know, that's more of a rubber game or, you know, a deep running bucktail. Mm-hmm. People like that stuff, but it's structure, you know, so it would be, you know, great on weed edges, great off a of point, you know, deep timber, things like that smash it off of rocks. Uh, it's a jerk bait. You know, you got to fish the thing. You got to, you got to get it in its proper cadence for it to get down. You know, they kind of, there's kind of like a, you know, a jerk bait is, I feel like it's true. Jerk baiting is like a lost art in musky fishing, especially with the newcomers coming in. Everything that's pushed is kind of straight retrieve or big, long rips. People don't like fish jerk baits much anymore that, that come through it. So, like, when you hand it to them, they're like, they're straight retrieve. I'm like, you can't just straight retrieve this thing. You got to fish it. This is going to, this is a really, this is a working, you got to work to get this, this thing down, you know? Just like how I worked the Suix and the Reef Hogs and all that stuff, you had to be on top of it. It was a backbreaker when I was like 16 years old. It sucked. It, it almost like made me not want to fish. I was like, I can't believe I'm using these words. I mean, it's insane. What, you know, I got to do this. Bam, 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 bam. I'm like, I don't even, uh, no wonder people don't musky fish. You know, this is freaking insane. <laughs> so you, you gotta, you gotta fish them 
You know, we're big on jerk baits out here. It's nothing crazy. You know, it's out there. The su- the suet. I mean, it came from from out there. It's, it's very popular. It's like the number one fish catching lure. You know, on in um, in Muskie's Inc. You know, is the suet for for casting. So it's very similar to that. There's just no weight or anything that you got to add to it. And there's something about that with these external weight kits. They're like coming around that they're very popular in some of these new uh, baits that are with new bait makers. They're making a lot of these, you know, universal weight kits. There's something about that that just screws with a green angler's mind. And I know it would screw with me because when I would have like a follow or a catch or whatever on a reef hog or a suic, you know, if I, I would think about it, I'd be like, okay, I had a half ounce weight in it and the tail off the back of the suic was at a 37 degree angle. You know, that's what they want. That's the, so I have to throw it like this all the time. And it was really, that wasn't, that wasn't the thing. So I'm sitting there playing mind games. And if I don't have it at that exact calculation, in calibration, then I don't feel good about it. You know, it, it, it's not, it, it then is messing with my psyche and with the Raptor, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You just have to fish it. So if you catch a fish on it, you're just like, okay, cool. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to cast it back out and we're good. But somebody that's green and you got all this, like these other options with the bait that can already mind trick you and, just kind of like defeat you almost. I, that's how I would feel if I didn't have it this exact way. Then the fish were not going to eat. I have to have it this way. You know, it's got to be this way or or none. It's going to, and that would mess with me forever. And I'd be thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it. And I'd kind of like beat myself mentally prior to even fishing. With how much information out there, and how many good baits are out there the ones that I like to pick up have no extra rigmarole to it. The interchangeable tail, it's got to be an orange tail. It's got to be a white tail. Stuff like that would mess me up mentally when I would first start. And I would just like, if I didn't have an orange tail and I lost an orange tail, then my day might as well have been over. I was a basket case. But there's baits that if you just pick up and throw, that helps me out mentally. And just to keep going and fishing when there's intangibles involved and other things to add on them. Just like, what if they like that? What if they like this? Oh my gosh, I'm done. You know, it just screws with you. So that's the nice thing about the Raptor and and nothing against any of those other baits. These baits are incredible. They're fish catchers, but for someone who's green and somebody who's like me, I like to just open up the box, throw it out, figure out the cadence about mid cast. And I'm like, okay, we're good. We're fishing now. I suppose, you know, Kerry, what do you think then? Is that why people like bucktails so much? It's, uh, mentally, they don't need to be too outside the box. All they got to do is just throw it out, retrieve it. As long as the blades are spinning for the most part, they're at least in the game. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. I mean, there's things that you can do different, you know, but really a bucktail is just throw it out there and bring it in. You can't, there's not a whole lot you can screw up on it unless you fall cast or something like that. And you can get more technical with them, but it involves going slower or faster and none of that's terribly difficult, you know? Absolutely. Well, 
you know, Vance, you obviously being a guide, you see a lot of new anglers in the boat. You know, you're talking about the mental aspect of it. We'll kind of take a detour here for a minute. Like, how much of this sport's mental? I I personally feel like it's, I mean, you have to obviously be able to throw big baits all, all day long, and that can be physically demanding. But I think the mental game is really what gets us all. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, that it, it's probably like 80% mental. You know, it's, it, it is very, very important. An example, I had a bucktail on the boat. It had, let's just say it had like a, a couple Colorado bl- blades. They were painted. Well, they started to chip. So they were painted orange. Let's just say it was orange and black, standard color, gray fish color, uh, catching color. Well, the paint came off of it. And now it's silver. And the guy's like, well, I think they like that orange or the, the lady, the angler, excuse me says, you know, they want it orange, it's got a chip in it, you know, we need to, we need to make it completely orange, like that matters. Sometimes it matters, color like that. But that's that men- mentality that could just break you prior to fishing. If there there was the old Suic jerkbaits that were black and stuff like that, and they, they start getting, wo- you know, wood grain showing and hook rash and teeth marks in them, and you're trying to sit there with a black Sharpie to fill it back in, because you think that that matters so much. So, you know, and I, and I did that. And then, you know, once I kind of said, you know, okay, these fish, it is still hooked in line. It's just hooked in line. I need to stop doing all this stuff, cast the damn bait out there and retrieve it and see what happens. It's hooked in line. That's when I got, that's when I started to put patterns together and got decent at it. But when I was changing and playing mental games the entire time in my head, I was terrible. So that leads me to that down a question. And, you know, when it comes to a typical day in the water, I'm assuming if you have three anglers, all three are probably throwing something different unless you're totally dialed into a pattern. Is that, is that the way you would typically approach a day on the water? Yeah, I approach a day on the water. I mean, it, of course, they're all different. Um, and it's, it's just a teaching, you know, just a, a complete classroom out there from the beginning to the end but yeah i absolutely will start with a couple different baits make sure everybody's comfortable throwing and i don't change up that much because in a charter you know just say it's eight hours it goes quick once you get comfortable with using all this stuff and i'm talking about people that like have never fished for them before all the way to uh, experienced fishermen, you know, these are, these might be new things. I might, might get people from Wisconsin that, that don't jerk bait often or pick up this raptor and it's a different way to, you know, the cadence is kind of different, uh, in, in the retrieval. So I, I, I just try to focus on people, uh, getting comfortable with their form. And then once the form is down, such as things in life, you can then work on it and do a couple things different. Like what was uh, related to the bucktail, you know, you speed it up, you slow it down on the figure eight, you hang it, then you go quick, come down deep, things like that. So once you get the form down with how you're retrieving a certain bait, then you can go from there and start changing up if you feel like it. But generally with what I was uh, alluding to earlier, once I picked one thing and stuck with it, that's when I got better because you're out there searching for a window of activity, you know, where they're, they're, they're all, you know, filled up and, 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 and angry. And, you know, you're, you're, you're not really fishing for this hungry fish. You're out there trying to get one that's active and 
you know, you piss it off and you create a strike. It's a quick day on the water. It might seem like it's a long day, eight hours, long time. You know, it's an American work day, but it goes super fast. So I would just pick one thing, get comfortable with it and, and go from there. Well, I would agree with I would agree with that in a lot of cases. Like I have a couple stories. Like typically, if somebody's fishing with me and I'm throwing, you know, and I'm changing baits often, that means that I I'm not in like like you said, you know, you're kind of searching for that. You're you're playing mental games with yourself. I do a lot better when I, you know, when I dial in on one particular thing and I kind of just go with it. I'll think back to um, a story in the fall. Like it was I was fishing solo and I was fishing in the morning and I I just. I was struggling, you know, changing baits, changing colors, doing different stuff. And then I I went in, there's a bar on the water and I just drove my boat in, launched, parked the boat, went and got a burger, came back out. I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to just dial this in and work it how I know how to work it. And boom, boom, boom. I, I it was fishing a river system and I, I would go to like, there was some trees that were down and whatever. I go to one and bang that one out. And then in between the trees, there was a muskie hanging there. I got one, went up a little, we're down a little bit, got in the next gap and there was a pike there. I got that one, went down a little farther. I got a muskie. So within the course of 45 minutes, I put, you know, three quality fish in the boat, two of which were muskies and all because I kind of just, like you said, I settled into that, that pattern. I got out of that mental game and uh, I think sometimes, like I said, we're our own worst enemy on the water. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, just being alone, that really could screw with you because you just have one pole. And this is from a casting aspect. Over here, we control with multiple rods and things like that. But keeping it uh, close to the heart with, with casting, when you have one person on the boat and it's yourself, you know, you're like, okay, what am I going to throw today? Rubbers, glides, bucktails, jerk baits, flat tails, whatever it is, you're like, oh my gosh, there's only one of me. When you have other people, you kind of feel a little bit more confident because you know you can give somebody a rubber bait, a bucktail, a twitch bait, a jerk bait, whatever, and then you're like, okay, we'll see what happens. They start liking one one over the other. You switch to that, and vice versa. So it's it is a mental game, but if you keep it simple, you'll, you'll be more successful. I try to do every day, try to beat the mental game of the muskies. It's so mental. You got to outlast them and you're waiting for that window. But when you're doing things like searching and changing baits, those generally lend to not the best days on the water. If you're going from this spot to that spot, changing this bait to that bait, those are maybe your day you get skunked, maybe you catch one, maybe you just get follows. From my case study of X amount of years I've been doing this, my best days are when I'm in one spot using the same thing, and then bang, window of opportunity opens, multiple fish day. So, so Vance, let's talk about Chautauqua. A lot of the listeners that we have on the podcast here, they're probably some are probably not even familiar with Chautauqua Lake at all. I am a little bit purely because of Kevin. But what makes up Chautauqua Lake? What's the forage base? What kind of what kind of structure does it have? It's a pretty pretty big lake, right? I guess it's big, you know. But I've been fishing it my whole life. Some people consider it very large. It's about thirteen thousand five hundred acres. You know, yeah, I two weeks that, ago, that's pretty big. Two, week, 
yeah, it's, 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 I guess, you know, two weeks ago when it was five foot high, it was like 16,000 acres and there was water in everybody's front yards and they were flipping out. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. You can send some of that water back over this way. Everybody's flipping out because the water's leaving here. <laughs> right. I get it. And I, you know, I know that area that, that you guys are in and if you look at it, there's just, there's a ton of lakes over there and they are kind of smaller. Um, there, something looks fishy. If you looked at it on Google satellite, uh, you would just be like, wow, there's a lake, there's a lake, there's a lake, there's a lake. It's crazy. But Chautauqua, I guess, is big in that, that aspect that, you know, it's only 13,500 acres on its, on its regular water level. You know, it's obviously very small compared to like Lake St. Clair, the Georgian Bay. Um, but, you know, if lakes are big, you know, you just got to fish them small. And that's how you, that's how you do good on them. If it, it fish is small over here with some of the, 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 uh, the spots that you go at, you know, a little bit, it's about 18 miles long, three miles at its widest. Uh, it's really, really interesting. There's a, uh, the, word Chautauqua and one of the definitions of it, it means bag tied in the middle. Um, there's some other Native American uh, terminology for it too that, that like kind of involve scary things. So I just like to call it bag tied in the middle. That's what it looks like. There is a north basin and there is a south basin. And in the middle, people call them the narrows. This is Bemis Point and Long Point. So if you take a bag, twist it, that's kind of what it looks like. A big up north basin, a big southern basin. But it's interesting because they're like two they're like two completely different lakes, the north and south basin. Okay. From that is your north basin is your more glacier yielding structure. Um, it's your deeper section. There's a lot of points and like steep drop offs. This is a natural lake we're talking about. And um, that southern basin is just like an enormous flat. It's shallow. And the entire perimeter of both north and south is a weed line. So everything looks good. Everything looks fishy. When you say deep, how deep is deep? Well, the deepest hole up north is like 72 to 75 feet. Okay. Uh, and that kind of that kind of hangs on the eastern shoreline. Uh, that's where all the deep holes are in that Southern basin, which is another three mile wide, like eight miles long, like 15 feet all over the place. You're out in the middle. People are like, that's 15 feet out there. You're like, yeah, there's, that's it. It's just, <laughs> there's just sand down there. Oh, interesting. Is it, is it pretty clear water? Is it stained or is it? Normally when uh musky season opens around here, it's clear all over, okay. southern and north, the shallows and the depths. It's kind of like a, I'd say like a dark clear, like a black water almost uh, at points. Like where we're sitting right now in the middle uh, of the season in August, that southern basin, uh, they're, they're, the weeds die, they rise, they bake, they create this algae bloom which is a like hot topic up here all the time. Uh, people hate that algae bloom that own houses around the lake. There's, it's a big controversy. They're spraying it. 
spraying weeds, putting chemicals in the lake. It's just hot topic for the last like five years. Uh, the northern basin, your deeper basin, it stays clear pretty much year round. Uh, that algae from the southern basin, the shallow area, does work up occasionally to into that north basin, but it it's clear. I mean, it's really, really nice, clear water up there all the time. Yeah, the algae bloom's in full effect right now. Uh, so, like, when you say algae bloom, are we talking, like, the pea soup kind of algae bloom that you get on Lake of the Woods? Or the whole yeah, lime green? Yeah, that's what it would be like. If you okay. would Google, if you would Google search blue green algae, that's exactly what it looks like. If you would Google okay. search right now and did the satellite image of Chautauqua Lake, you would see a very green southern basin. It's like green as grass, and then okay. a, a a dark northern basin. Cool, interesting. I'll have to do that later. So, what's in there? What's in there food wise? Um. Do you have shad? Do you have Cisco's? Do you have... I'm not over-familiar with what is on the East Coast yeah. for... Well, there's pretty much pretty much every sunfish you can name is in here. Most yeah. prevalent You hear being. that, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Sunfish. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that a thing? Do people not call them sunfish? No, no, no. no, no. She just we likes do. to give okay. me a hard time about panfish and sunfish and mm. crappies and tell me I should give it a try once in a while, and I have no interest. <laughs> I, hey, I, I don't either. I mean, but I will eat them, of course. Uh, they are they are delicious. But sunfish, panfish, all that stuff. But most prevalent is the is the uh, yellow perch. Okay. Uh, those are all over the place, and 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 another thing that's uh, been popular over the years that's been coming in and. It was kind of an invasive species. People say that came in through either birds or somebody's minnow bucket is white perch. And now we have these hybrid white bass, but it's still yellow perch. You know, yellow perch are the king of the sunfish, you know, panfish. <laughs> so there's no suckers or nothing like that out there? There's carp. There's no shad. There's no pike. Yeah, isn't that? It's a wonderful thing. Uh, it would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I mean, those pike are just complete jerks. They are way too aggressive. They'll eat you out of house and home in the in the uh, in the uh, aquatic life. It's like a teenager. Um, <laughs> there's there's no pike in here. It's unbelievable. Because of that, I think that's why all the species are, are thriving. You know, there's not really like a, you know, there's not the attitude of the muskies are eating my walleye, my perch, my, you know, crappy, my bass out here. All the, all the top game fish are thriving in this lake. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you're talking, there are obviously no pike in there. So they're, you know, the muskie and you said are, are plentiful. It's one of those fisheries from what I gather that there's good numbers, but there's also very good size out there. Is that right? I don't know, man. I don't want to, I, I like to keep the narrative that they're all small out here. <laughs> Stay far away. That's what I tell everybody. Small fish, well, big numbers. That's what it is. But in, in, in all honest opinion, there is just world-class muskies in these waters. Uh, they are enormous. They're, they're a natural strain 
of, of, of muskies. They've always been here. They're their own thing, you know. This place, it, there's so much history on Chautauqua Lake for muskie fishing. It was the first hatchery for muskies ever was at Chautauqua Lake. They used to stock out there in Wisconsin and Tigers, Utah. It's just so much history in muskie fishing comes from this little lake or big lake. It, it, it's wonderful. I, I That's why I'm here, you know. It's, it's kind of like a mini Lake St. Clair, uh, but you can see shoreline and you can, there's structure and it's nice to see shoreline sometimes, you know, when, and you can fish it because it's not a big open, you know, you can always fish it. You're going to get in safe. You're not on the great lake system or a Malax or something like that. You're, you're good out here. You know, you're going to see your family at the end of the day. It's nice. Sounds like a great fishery. So let's, we kind of got the, the history, the little bit of the layout of the land down. Now I know you guys generally have a very good casting bite. I know you also have a very good trolling bite. And the purpose of this conversation I want to have here is, I think you've told me that the trolling bite is maybe not so strong this year. And so I want to talk about transitions. Let's just say you're on a weekend trip. You know, your plan was to, you thought, you thought the lake would be a good trolling lake at this time of year or whatever. How long before you're making a transition where you're like, hey, this trolling bite really isn't working? Why don't you talk a little bit about patterning? Because I think patterning is one of those things that if anglers were better at it, and we all, I think we all struggle with it at times, we would be more consistent with our catching or maybe even like how quick we can decide like, okay, yeah, this pattern isn't working anymore. We need to move on to something else. I think sometimes we will beat the dead horse pattern for far too long, wasting far too much time of our valuable time. Cause let's be real. Most muskie anglers only have one or two days a week, potentially to chase muskies. I want to talk, I want to learn a little bit about patterning for you. You know, how, how do you go about doing it? How did, how long did it take you before you were like, Hey, this trolling thing isn't really working out. I mean, did you make that transition pretty quick or did it take you a, a little while? Yeah. It, 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 you know, where I'm sitting at now, and I, this is my home, you know, I'm on that lake all the time. You, you hit it on the head there. I mean, musky anglers are creatures of habit. That's just how we are. It's not a great trolling year right now. You know, it kind of, in the early season, it was good. It was very good trolling. I, I think so. We were, we were boating fish easily. Nice. My same patterns that have held for years. What I've been successful with, um, in the weekend warriors have been uh, with as well. They were working. It kind of shut down terribly after this, flood that we had uh, happened. It just completely completely changed the lake. Because of that, you know, you have to you have to develop some type of pattern. What you know, your original question with, with the, the patterning, like when do I say like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. This is not working. It's usually like two skunkers in a row would get me to be like very upset with uh with being on the lake you know i'd be like yeah something is, is going on here i'm uh this is not going to get any better right now and you know i am screwed because i have all trolling clients for the rest of the week you know so you're like uh okay how am i going to adjust to this and it's it's tough you know it's tough 
tough at points. Two skunkers in a row. You kind of get the feel for what's going on underneath the boat. And after that flood that we had up here, I don't know what happened. I mean, the, the, the bait kind of glued to the bottom and never came back up. So it was, in, and then I'm talking about in the open basin at this point. And so <laughs> I'm like, I got to be, you know, on the bottom to try and you know, snag one of these things. You know, I think when it, when it gets that way, I'm like, you know, I have a better chance of snagging one of these fish than it actually wanting to bite. That's how, that's how, how it was on the bottom, all your panfish right on the bottom. Then you're all of a sudden you're catching catfish, you're snagging carp. It was crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. I understand the two skunks in a row. That's great. Unfortunately, for the majority of the people listening to this, two skunks in a row, weekend's over. Now I got to hope that I learned something from this past weekend and move on towards next weekend to be able to put fish in the boat because, let's be real, I mean, musky fishing is fun, but it's way more fun when we catch them. No doubt. I mean, and people are so adamant about that, you know. They're working, they're working hard for the weekend, and if you come up and – you're starting fresh every weekend and what's worked for you in the past isn't working. You either, you do two things, you change and you work at it or you start complaining and say all the fish are dead. And there's like, there's like two avenues with it. And right now people think there's something up with Chautauqua Lake. That's how bad the trolling is. And that's how spoiled, spoiled people have been for years on this lake. It's happened in the past before. It's happened in the past before when people, it, it goes through seasons here, like of people wanting to sell their campers to, you know, their heroes in their group uh, chats on, in the text messages. It, it, it usually happens early in like June, like the fi- they're gone, you know, the fish are dead. This year it's kind of like carried the entire, the entire season. It's just not a trolling year up here. And that's what people think, you know, when they come here, you know, you just set lines and you go, but you know, they're muskies. You can't always go out and catch a pile of them. You know, that's what's in, intriguing about the sport. You know, it's difficult. You can't go out and hammer all the time, you know, so you need to change something. You need to adapt. And for some people that's to hop to the next lake that has a, has a hot bite. You know, but for me, I can't do it. This is my living. I got to figure something out. That's what people pay you to do. They expect you to know what's going on. So you have to adapt. And that's what I'm doing this year. That's what I do every year. It changes week to week. It changes day to day. Every year is different. You catch a zillion fish the year before. It could be completely different the next. You hammer them casting or trolling in one area in, in a year. It's not going to be there the next year. Everything changes. I have never, I've never put something together where I could go back to it the next year and have the same results that I, that I had. Say I caught, you know, a hundred fish on this one strip in a month trolling. Boom. Right here, I was catching them. You do that 
same day, same month, the next year, it's not, it just doesn't work that way. So you constantly have to adapt. And that's tough for people. But luckily, having to do it for a living and you can't, because of that, you have like a fire under you. You're like, well, you know, I got to keep the lights on the house. Nobody's going to come with me if I don't, you know, put them on fish and give them opportunities. You know, they're going to, I'm, I'm not going to get these rebooks and, and people wanting to be out with you if you don't adapt like that. Weekend Warriors, there's a lot of options. I can go here this weekend. I can go there this weekend. Or I could say I'm going to come back here. I got my butt kicked. And, you know, I'm going to get him this weekend. I'm going to be positive about it. Positivity goes a long way in muskie fishing. On the lake, positive muskie attitude. People always talk about this stuff. But you got to adapt, you know. There's there's days when you go out there and they literally are jumping in the boat. It's, that's what happens in, in a lake that is well, that, that is just a top-notch fishery with all species. You know? St. Clair drives the industry. You can go in there. People just expect them to hop in the boat. You come to Chautauqua, you expect them to hop in the boat and be small. They are still muskies. They adapt and they will go off jaw on you often. You got to remember that, you know, if you caught them every time, I mean, what the, what would be the fun of the lake of, of the industry? I mean, it's, it's fun, but people have a lot more worse days than great days. And the great days, make you not think of anything, you know, you, you, you end the year, you're looking at a couple fish you caught and you're like, holy crap, that was an unbelievable year. That was great. You know, you forget about all the skunkers, you know, that's just as a, you know, a, a weekend fisherman. Um, but like I said, for me, I got to figure something out real quick. If, if my, if my bite is, is terrible, uh, adapting consistently all the time. Um, that'll, that'll put fish in the boat. The nice thing about Chautauqua Lake, they're still here. They're landlocked. There's nowhere they can go. You know, there's not enough, there's not a chain or a water system that comes in here. Spring fed, tributary fed. They're still here. Sometimes they just act like muskies. Yeah, that's, that's the difficult part about it. You know, as um, I, I've one time somebody told me like you got to fall in love with um, you know basically the game chasing him down, and you also got to fall in love with just you know working your bait to as best that you can to try to fool one of these fish, and when you do that, it'll make everything kind of come together in a sense that like you won't be so frustrated by the fact you didn't see a follow. You're still out there just loving you know loving the game and loving working a bait. You know, because like the one thing I, I think is difficult for guides is that client that comes with you that day, that might be their one day out that month. It might be their one day out for the year. And they always have the highest expectations for you guys because you they're always thinking that the fish are biting every single day. And obviously that's not the case. I don't know of any muskie angler ever out there that has fished more than one day that has caught them every single day. And so... It's just, it just doesn't happen. Maybe if you fish two days, you might've gotten them both days, but if you fished multiple days, there's just no chance that you go on a, a week long trip in all likelihood, you're not putting them in the boat every single day. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that absolutely is true. I mean, that's, that's muskies. Uh, like I said, 
you got to treat it like if if you're an angler, this is a hunt. You got to work your tail off for every single bite. It's a hunt. It's like trying to find your one tag deer, big buck, you know, and you're all, that's a whole season from like September through January for most people hunting. You know, you got one day to do this. If you get your butt kicked, like, oh, well, you know, figure something out. You got to, you got, you got to adapt. It's not going to happen every day. You're not going to go out and shoot a big buck every day. You know, sometimes you got to eat tag soup, they call it, but you, you just, you got to adapt. Yes, the expectations are high and, you know, your own self expectations are probably high. You know, I want to catch them, you know, shoot darn, you know, I, I, I didn't get them. I'm terrible. I, you know, I did everything wrong. You can't think that way. You know, you just got to keep going. But this whole game is about outlasting. That's the whole musky and that's the whole musky game. If you can outlast them and they, and you beat them and they don't beat you mentally, then you're going to, then you're going to eventually catch them. And all that stuff disappears after that. You know, if you went for a week for somewhere, if you go somewhere, you know, like on Georgian Bay, I call it a fish a week up there in a beating. You're out there, you're trolling, you're casting. Sucks. You go back up the next year, you don't catch nothing. You go back up there the next year, you catch a 40 pound class fish. How do you feel after that? Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You feel, you feel good. You're like, that's what I was after. Yep. You know, that's, that's what I, those, those last years now I'm thinking about it. They were hilarious and fun to be a part of, you know? So when you, when people are going to these lakes that have, a, that are healthy, you know, you just have to have a healthy mind. The, the fishery's healthy. It's still healthy. There's nothing bad going on in this, in this lake right now. You just got to, you, you got to have a healthy mind, beat them mentally, outlast them, change some things up, and it, it'll work. Just because you've been doing it for X amount of years doesn't mean you can't learn, you know. I learn every year. I can't say like every day, but every year I learn something out there. Because it's constantly adapting, you know. I'm doing things that I've never done before on this way to catch fish. So you got to adapt, you know. And it sucks because I got people, you know, that they're expecting me to put this in the, put them in the bag, you know. That's the thing. I don't like to take guide trips and put people on like you know an experimental run. You know, these are the times where you know you drop the clients off after a day and you're like, all right, look, I got to go find something else out. Whether it's like, you know, it's kind of like a back to the basics mentality. Like clients left, you know, I got to go out, figure something out now, like do something different. Whether it's, you know, stand on my head and cast or do a backflip before each one. If that's what gets in the boat, that's what you got to do. You got to figure something out. You can't just let it lay and, you know, they're still here. It's a landlocked area. A lot of lakes are like that. So when you have, you know, when you get your butt kicked, you're going to, you're going to get your butt kicked. You know, you learn from it. You got, just got to put in work. You know, they don't hop in the boat. Yep. Absolutely. Musky fishermen take pride about that stuff. That's what this whole industry is. That's why there's not a lot of people to do it because it sucks. But the payoff's incredible. 
Yeah, it all changes once you put one in the bag. It fixes your whole day with one fish. Everybody's talking, you're good, you're smiling, you know. It's an unbelievable adrenaline rush. I had a guy out this evening. He fishes on the ocean all the time. Sharks, marlin, caught all this stuff, you know. Whatever you could name on the ocean, he's got it. I, I was I was fishing. We were casting, talking about the raptor, death paws, all this stuff. Thing hit on the pause before going into the figure eight, like what about four foot of line out, came out and hammered it. All the fishing was got decorated. He said that was the most exhilarating strike of my entire life. That's incredible. That's I mean that that sums up musky fishing right there, right? Absolutely. It's amazing. It's a blessing to be able to do it, but stuff like that, you know, it, it comes, it comes around every once in a while. You can't, it can't happen all the time. So stuff like that makes you forget, makes you forget about everything that all the tough days, sun beating on you, rain beating on you. You're good to go. Catch one back in the game. Your next cast is a step in the right direction. That's the mentality you have to have. My next cast is a step in the right direction to turn this day around. The mentality you got to have. Hey, Lance, do you have a tip for our listeners for how they can catch fish in mid-August? Yeah, mid-August, you know, it's uh, some people fish it, some people don't. I know a lot of people come up and fish the northern areas uh, because the water's cooler and and, and things like that. Um, Mid-August. You're talking dog days of summer, you know, you got big heat waves coming in and, uh, you know, a lot of storms. Um, if anything in August, it's tough for me to say one thing about August, you know, because people read things and hear things and they take them as gospel. The only tip that I have for people in any month is to keep going the entire time is don't stop doing what you're doing. You have to outlast these people. That's kind of my whole spiel throughout guiding and throughout this entire podcast. You have to keep going regardless of month. You know, generally in August around here, it's a trolling time. It's not here right now. The fish are acting different. They have these things on the side of them. They're called fins. They move. You know, they're not in areas all the time. So, in August, just keep going and just keep fishing. You know, it's, it's generally a trolling time. It's not that right now. So, uh, for me, that's one lake. I'm landlocked here just like the fish are. But any given month, anytime you step on the boat, try your best to outlast them. And don't be mentally defeated. Keep it simple. Continue to fish. The most comfortable way you can fish, whether it's, hey, I work a bucktail really good. I'm going to throw this all day because it's the most efficient thing that I can do. That's probably going to lend to your best strike and best chance. So, stick to itiveness, if that's even a word. I think that's a word. If not, it should be. Absolutely. You know, Carrie, it kind of sounds a little bit like Brad was actually on this podcast tonight because they, they have fins and they can move. That's one of his 
classic lines. He loves to say that all the time about muskies, how they, <laughs> they don't have to stay in one spot. They can move around. So you're going to have to move around to find them. Right. That's why, that's why we have motors and all that stuff. Absolutely. So Vance, I just want to thank you for taking up an hour of our time or your time in speaking with us about muskie fishing. For anybody that wants more information about Muddy Creek Guide Service, the Fat AZ Muskie Podcast, or Fat AZ Muskie Lures, why don't you talk a little bit about how they can get in touch with you or find out more about you? Yeah, uh, you could go on uh, the interwaves there, uh, Google search Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, Fat AZ Muskie Products, uh, our website, mcfishn, as in Nancy, guides.com. Um, give us a call. We fish Pennsylvania, Northwest Pennsylvania. And then we are here for six months at Chautauqua Lake and we are booking into 2022 now. Um, thank you for everybody uh, that make my dreams come true and be able to do this for a living. It's unbelievable on the bait side of things you can check out team Rhino outdoors. And you can also check out our uh, our website, fatazmuskie.com, podcast, same, uh, same platforms as, as, this, uh, as this Backlash podcast, um, you know, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, all that good stuff. And then the other, the other thing we never even talked about, Vance, was if people are looking for rod holders, I heard you guys have a, a pretty solid uh, setup there, too. In fact, not only I heard, I know for a fact as I have them on my boat. Uh, you guys can set people up with some rod holders as well. Guy out, that area trolling, that's, that's, that's crazy. But I know people out there, trolling is like bow hunting and, uh, you know, gun hunting. It's like a... Some people look down on trolling, but if you're into trolling, check out our website. We do make a nice product and we work with people to get, uh, get you what you need on your boat, walk you through a setup. We'll design anything custom for you. And if a different brand is more set for you, we will absolutely tell you to go down that route. We're here for the people and, uh, we'll help you out with that. They're good rod holders. I've had the same ones for about eight years. Yeah, absolutely. I've been using them on my boat for a while, too. They're really nice. They fit in, um, you know, the regular track system, Tracks Tech Track is what I have it for, and they work good. Slip on, slip off. You can get them for rails, too. You guys have a whole array of different products, and, and they're all they're all great. So, again, Vance, I just want to thank you for coming out. I want to thank all of our listeners for taking time out of their schedules every single week to listen to this podcast. And we will have a new episode of Backlash Podcast next Wednesday. So thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for for coming out tonight. Have a good night.